Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to the 29th episode of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional land, gathering place, and traveling route of the Cree, Anishinaabe, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I have been living without shoes since 2010. I alternate between using she, her, and they, them pronouns. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. In this episode, I interview my uncle, Hugh Spencer, about his latest science fiction book. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts. Novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting. Each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I will give you updates on what I am working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. I'm still working on editing the finale to my Red 72 series. I'm now about 10% of the way through this final round of edits, and I'm pleased with the pace. Seriously, hire a professional editor. I cannot repeat this enough. And now for my interview with Hugh Spencer. Are we get, Is this visually recording? So, no, it's just it's just the audio. Oh, okay. okay. So, so we'll talk about my palatial gold-plated office. Yes. With tons <laughs> of servants. All right. What do you write? Uh, I write mostly action and crime. Crime. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Where can I find your work? Um, it's all on Amazon. Pretty much the best place to find it. Okay, I'll have to look it up. What's your latest? The latest one is actually totally different. It is a fantasy erotica. What? <laughs> what? Who told you about sex? Um, <laughs> that's. I am quite upset about that. I'm gonna tell your grandma. Considering I have a kid, I think she already knows. <laughs> But that's work. <laughs> it's not entertainment. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll we'll get started with the interview. So all right, well, we can include this too. I mean, sure, much yeah. more interesting than I am. Might be. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> hi, Uncle Hugh. Thank you so hi, much. Hi, hi, great niece, Sierra. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Please tell the listeners a little about where you're from, what you do, and about your books. About my book. Okay. I'm from Toronto, Ontario, in Canada. For those of you who are listening from Zambia or, uh, or Kenya or Singapore. I'm originally from the beautiful metropolis of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, via southern Alberta and then over to Ontario. My day job, I'm a museum consultant, which is way not what we're going to talk about today. But in my, uh, I've always wanted to be a science fiction writer since I can remember. And I finally real started getting published in 1990. Uh, 1989, yeah. And uh, actually, my first short story published in on spec magazine out of the beautiful metropolis published on the beautiful 
metropolis of Edmonton. And I've been sort of publishing in various magazines on and off uh, since 1990. And I'm currently published by a group called uh, Brain Lag Publishing, which is a small press out of uh, uh, Milton, Ontario, about 20 miles uh, west of Toronto. And the first book they publish was my novel, my first novel, Extreme Dentistry, which is about a group of, they hunt shape-shifting vampires. uh, And they're mostly a team of uh, Mormon dentists. And this was partly inspired by uh, the hearing some uh, adolescent girl talk about how great Twilight was and how cool vampires were and that whole thing. So I was trying to think of the, the least cool characters we could come up with for a vampire story. And there were dentists there. Someone uh, sort of outed my LDS background and, and they said, are you a, you're a Mormon? I said, yeah, pouring myself a large glass of red wine. And and, uh, and the guy said, you can't be a Mormon. And I said, why? And he said, because you're not a dentist. I know, I, I, I wish you could see Sierra's face, folks. But it's quite, and it, my expression was much the same, like, what the? And, and, and he said, well, all the Mormons I know are dentists. And I said, okay, well, you did well in your logic class and philosophy, didn't you? <laughs> and, and, uh, but I kept thinking about that, and it sort of eventually evolved into that story, novel, which has been well-reviewed. It's done quite well. It's a steady seller, Brain Lag tells me. Uh, the uh, next book that came out was Why Hunt Flying Saucers, which came out in 2016. And it was a collection of my short fiction that had been published in other magazines uh, from about a guy who gets... Uh, kidnapped by uh, abducted by aliens usually about five or six times a week and so often that his boss has missing time at work insurance so not only does he get abducted all the time this guy he has to fill out insurance for him so his life is kind of miserable and he's trying to figure out why these aliens are doing this to him he's getting very picked on anyway but there are a bunch of other stories that are in that and then uh this latest story the progressive apparatus is um Another collection of short stories that sort of follow on from other publications from, you know, up till just a few years ago. And uh, it's about a story, uh, the progressive apparatus of the lead story. And it's what happens if, you know, just to make sure you're writing the right kind of stories, somebody sends you some software that kind of looks over your shoulder where you're writing it and what kind of relationship you might have with uh, software. So there's actually a series of three apparatus stories and the apparatus shows up in various manifestations and stories, other stories too, but it becomes, sometimes it's a big corporation, sometimes it's a product. It's quite confusing. But anyway, there uh, it just came out in February at BrainLag. You go to their website, www.brainlog.com, I think, and you can order a copy. Uh, get nine or ten for your family and friends, uh, and the other books too. And in uh, October, I have another novel coming out from the same press called The Hard Side of the Moon, part of a series of stories related to that called Bad Jobs in the Future. Uh, the one thing about my fiction I should tell you is that I probably will never become the next Star Wars guy or Star Trek guy because my heroes are not the sort of heroes that you dream about being. My heroes, the protagonists in my stories, are the people that you kind of have to admit to yourself that you really are. (laughs) So it's escapism, but there is no escape. (laughs) You're just stuck. So you might as well have an interesting time of it. That's all. Yeah, what else? Any other questions? Well, yeah, I I find that's my favorite kind of science fiction is the kind that you can kind of relate to. 
in a different you can, place. You can, you can order nine or ten copies then. They're all slightly different. <laughs> no, they're not. I'm terrible at the dealer's table and conventions. But yeah, but I still like going to the conventions and flogging the books. Do you get to do that with your books? Yeah, that's something I've really missed with COVID is not being able to do that because they've all been yeah. shut down, obviously. Well, we launched, uh, we've done virtual launches for, I've been in a couple of short story collections since uh, since COVID and then in uh, launching of my own collection last month. And it's sort of fun. One of the great parts about it is that you, uh, once the panel's over with, the event's over with, you're home. No drive time. Also, you can do it without wearing feet or shoes. Yeah, most most of the time when they invite me, they already know about that. So it's a non-issue. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like 2019, I think I got invited to like five conventions. And none of them had an issue with it. I was there barefoot. Well, if they had cosplay, you could just say it was part of your costume. Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, the, the only convention I've ever been to that anyone even mentioned it, it was LeakyCon. So it was a Harry Potter convention in Orlando. LeakyCon? And one of the, secu- yeah, like, like Leaky oh. Cauldron. Um, one of the security guards for the convention center came up to me and they're like, we have a policy that you have to wear shoes. And I was like, well, is there like a waiver I can sign or something? Because I literally don't even have any with me. And so I went to the security guard's office and signed a waiver saying I wasn't going to sue them if I stepped on anything and like cut my foot or oh, something. I see. That's what they're worried about. Yeah. Oh, you just, you probably, you probably my just abilities. have really attractive toes and you want the world to know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> and I guess you must be a big hit toenail con. <laughs> uh, I avoid that one. <laughs> uh, there, there are interesting foot conventions. I had no I idea that there was such a thing. I thought I was being outrageous. There are conventions for oh, everything. Oh, there are some um, very interesting conventions that happen at the Edmonton Convention Center. Well, I, I wrote one of the stories in my first short story collection is called Pornzilla. And it's about this software. I'm actually really bad about writing sex. Unless it's bad sex. If people are having a lousy time, I could just, you know, just handle it easy. But, you know, the idea of, yeah, that's sort of the classic stuff that people would pay money to read. No, no, couldn't write it. But the, uh, and Pornzilla was actually one of the premises of the story. It had two. One is it, it was written in the early 2000s. It was um, kind of predicted augmented reality. You know, the idea of sort of projecting virtual images and things on top of physical spaces like Pokemon Go and what would happen there. And that was just sort of the background. But the other one was that there's this one rule that said there's a pornographic version of everything, parody of everything. And this was yeah, like rule the, 34 of the Internet. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, in this one, it was, this predict, predates that. And it was just all about how there was this viral software that was slowly converting all human culture into porn. <laughs> And one of my characters who has a bit of an addiction problem in that area is uh, is sort of slowly realizing this to his dismay. (laughs) And feeling badly about his potential contribution to this sad state of affairs. Did your mother ever read this? No, she (laughs) never read that one. There was another story. She would have, actually, I don't think she would have minded the, um, because when I write about Mormonism, I usually... I've done it in one other story overtly, uh, Mormonism in the Saskatoon Space Program, which came out, first came out in an anthology called uh, Land Space, which was a collection of, uh, edited by Candace Jane Dorsey uh, and Judy McCluskey. In both that, Mormonism, the Saskatoon Space Program, and in Extreme Dentistry, most critics have realized that I'm not actually being particularly negative 
about anybody's faith. And most critics have said that I'm more observational than critical. And I hope that's fair. But also, there is some enormously funny things about my religious heritage. And, and so, you know, you just got to... <laughs> you know, when, when, when the universe hands you these gifts, you have, it's wrong not to use them. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Actually, even in Why I'm Flying Saucers, the... The men in black are actually, one's an Amway salesman, and the other <laughs> one is a Mormon missionary. So whenever he's, he, whenever, you know, whenever he, he's sort of rescue, uh, recovering from uh, an alien abduction, one of the, these guys show up at his house. One of them, you know, gives him an Amway catalog, and the other one gives him a Book of Mormon every time. <laughs> so he's got this huge collection of these things in his house. That's amazing. So, <laughs> Well, when you think about what you think the men in black are described, what do they look like? Missionaries. So what's your next question? Well, I was going to ask you how you got started writing. How did I get started? I couldn't stop. There were a number of science fiction nuts in the family, your aunts and uncles. And I remember going more into illustration, and I think it was because that seemed more satisfying in direct action to try and draw the stories or the images from them than to try and write them, which seemed to be a, require a lot more discipline and organization. I kept trying and not having Then in high school. I met a friend and I actually wrote a story about this called Coping with Norm Deviation. It was all about these kids. It was intercutting uh, these kids in high school trying to make a, a science fiction movie of their own uh, in Super 8. So I intercut the process of what these kids have to do to try and make this movie. And that's very autobiographical. We were like making our own puppets and getting props. And my friend who actually went on to work in film and and set design and, and animation uh, was actually designing really interesting. He was like building this little tracking dolly so he get these moving shots. He built a little bracket that he could bolt the movie ca- this little movie camera onto the front wheel of his bicycle so we get these really fun shots shooting down the streets of highly futuristic Saskatoon and also just even hooking up our little cassette tape recorder to a movie camera so we could actually try and try to do sound uh film before and uh, it was mixed there but we actually did shoot some scenes never finished it but I story was based on that sort of experience but intercut was the the script of the actual movie that they were trying to make (laughs) And it was quite fun. But I tried writing. I actually got into this sort of area of actually trying to make films and write scripts all through high school. And right into uh, university, I made a Super 8 silent film that was sort of a parody of the, um, not the superhero Avengers, but the John Steed and Emma Peel Avengers. Mine was called The Accountants. And they were trying to track down the evil Soviet agents who stole the world's first atomic-powered calculator, which, of course, was a really big electric typewriter that people had to lug around. But... (laughs) Was, which was pretty stupid. And it was like all those kinds of student amateurs, silly movies. But I gave up and then in uh, took a screenwriting course at Ryerson, then Polytechnic, now University. And so I wrote a couple of scripts out of that for that class, the Toronto Public Library System, which is one of the greatest knowledge-based institutions in the universe. And I hear the one at Edmonton is pretty darn good too and use them. But they were holding, they had like a writers in residence program and the science fiction anthologist and writer Judith Merrill, who's quite known in the, well known in the 60s, was uh, doing readings of stories by people who uh, 
uh, were aspiring science fiction writers. So I took uh, the, my most promising script and I turned it into a prose story, sent it in, and I got a call from her saying, come on down, we'll talk. So I thought, oh, good. She's bringing me down to talk to me about what a genius I am. Mm-hmm. And so I went down there all excited because I'd heard of her. And yeah, I have to understand at that point in my life, uh, I thought all these people were gods, you know, like, oh, you know, they the sun must shine out of their nose and brilliant ideas must be just spinning out of their ears. I just, oh, I, I don't dare touch them. And uh, which is not probably a very healthy attitude. Anyway, I w- went in and she tore, she tore me a new one. Uh, she really didn't like the story very much. So I assumed she brought me in to make sure that I'd never write again. <laughs> I would never, never burden another person with reading any of my work. But she was, she wasn't deliberately cruel, but she was completely blunt. And she also had very fixed ideas about copy editing and sort of formatting and stuff. And which, in some ways, I thought was a little unfair because there were no standards when the call for submissions. But you know, fine. So, but at the end of it, she says that, oh, by the way, I'm also establishing a science fiction writers workshop. And would you like to join? And I said, as what? The coffee table? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but, uh, but I said, yes, I'll, 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 I'll join. You know. And it took about a year, year and a half for me to come up with a story that was sendable. And that was the Flying Saucer story. But I've been writing, I've been with that group ever since, on and off. It's nice in the workshop to see these works emerging. You know, And so we know in some cases... Uh, some cases, I don't even know why they bother to show us. They send you this manuscript. It's perfect. And if you want to hurt them, but, um, but you don't, because that would be unethical. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, but other times, it's sort of fun to see these things all. And I've actually found it quite helpful in a lot of ways. I remember them, get them getting so mad at the group for the way they tore up a, a story of mine. And But I, I have to admit, I did uh, sort of put it down and thought, oh, what the heck? And I didn't actually take any of their suggestions, but I completely restructured the story. And it, it was a much, much better story. So sometimes it's worth the pain. For sure, for sure. I didn't use editors for my first full-length novel that I published. I just had feedback from friends. And while it was helpful and they caught a lot of things, they were my friends and they didn't want to be harsh. But you need that harsh, objective look at it to find what really needs to be fixed. Also, sometimes your friends are so excited that you've produced a book. Of course, they're going to enjoy it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's sort of like when your kid brings home a drawing from kindergarten. You go, oh, you know, it's great. You created something. And that's true. It's true. It's actually great to create anything. But then there's sort of another level you got to get to. I would say that about family, but actually, I don't know about my siblings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't let our family read my drafts. Well, that's true. Well, the thing is, our family, as you know, we come from a, a family of, someone's referred to, I was describing some members of my family, and the guy said, and he was a TV producer. He said, oh, you, I didn't know you came from a, a showbiz family, Hugh. And he's right. You know, we're often involved in some form of performance or creative expression. So... I think as we develop ourselves, we apply some of those perspectives. And that's a good thing to have around, you know, to grow up with that, because then people aren't bugging you about, what are you wasting time writing a story for? So, well, of course you're writing a story. It's the most important thing you can be doing. Yeah, and our family hasn't written something. <laughs> I know, we're a menace. <laughs> 
she talked about your great aunt Jane's cartoon books. She would, have you ever seen any of those? I think when I was younger, I did, but I would, I would need to see them again. To Some of those of incredibly simple, but absolutely devastating, particularly her caricatures of her family members, because they're insanely accurate. There was a certain look that your great, great, great grandfather Spencer would get, which right. you didn't need to have hear him say it. Uh, he was your grandfather. So- John Arthur's dad? Yeah. No, John Arthur. John Arthur. Add, okay. Did I add an extra great yeah. story? <laughs> I, I flunked genealogy. <laughs> and that's why they kicked me out. <laughs> just, he had this expression and he wouldn't say a thing, but you know what was going through his head and it was, this is an outrage. <laughs> that would, you know, Jane, yeah, your aunt Jane would just, yeah, she had it. I don't know if I, if I can find it, I'll send it to you. So what are you writing now? Um, so I'm finishing up editing on a crime novel and that's kind of work in progress. And then I've kind of shifted more to liking writing romance, but less on the smut for this one. So this one is like a prim and proper postbellum romance set in North Illinois. Oh, very nice. Because you have all that American experience. Yes. To draw yeah. upon. Well, I do need to cut this interview off because I need to get back to work. My lunch break's over. They'll but be... I have no life here. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get back to magazine directing. All right. Well, have fun. It was lovely chatting. Yeah, for sure. That's right. Drop by. I hope to see you soon. Uh, once COVID's over. <laughs> no, once COVID's over, I'm going to visit everybody. I'm going to stay in everyone's home for a month. Oh, goodness. My place I is mean, small. I won't need to have, to, to have living expenses for in, my, in our family for about four years. there's a lot of us yeah all right to everybody take care stay safe in edmonton (laughs) you too bye Bye. and now for comics my latest comic has a wide-eyed possum pete with raised eyebrows and the caption reading the terms of my treaty got me like i recently read treaty six for the first time i'm originally from treaty seven territory the ancestral home of the blackfoot kainai pecani stony dakota and satina That area is so steeped in racism, I can't even. I remember having a crush on an indigenous co-worker when I was 19 and people saying I shouldn't get involved with him because he lived on the reserve and therefore had no work ethic. Never mind the fact that he was currently holding down a full-time job. I've been present when a friend who's Ojibwe was followed through a store by an employee who watched her like a hawk as she was in the -the over-the-counter pain reliever aisle. Another former coworker is now a manager at a restaurant where they turned away an indigenous family who couldn't pay and refused to let anyone pay for their food. I could go on. But the point is, I, as a 30-year-old, am making a conscious choice to unlearn all of the racial bias that I was steeped in from birth. It's a long and difficult and at times extremely uncomfortable journey. There are things I am learning that make me ashamed of my own past actions and things my family members have done. It's okay to feel whatever emotions you feel as you go through the process of unlearning racism. White supremacy hurts everyone. Keep in mind, though, that it's not about you. I owe so much to the Black and Indigenous people who have been willing to do the work to get me to where I am at. Not that they should have had to in the first place, but it would be an insult to them to then turn around and make the conversation about how guilty I feel instead of trying to change for the better. Be proactive. In comics news, 
DC Comics released their upcoming comics list for June 2021, including a Pride Month anthology and themed variant covers from LGBTQIA2 artists. You can see the full list at comicsbeats.com. Marvel president Kevin Feige has confirmed that Chris Evans will not be returning to his role as Captain America. Rumors had been swirling about a possible cameo in the Disney Plus series The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Chris Evans also denied the rumors on Twitter. Alright, next up is journalism. I've started a second true crime book project as my current one might be tied up in the courts for who even knows how long. It's actually bordering on ridiculous now to see how many appeals it has gone through. So I'm sidelining that for now and picking up the story of Tylee Ryan and J.J. Vallow, the two kids found dead in Chad Daybell's Rexburg, Idaho area backyard last year. This is another rabbit hole made out of rabbit holes, but I have a good idea of how I'm going to lay out the book. Lori and Chad Daybell's trials start this week. In current events, in response to a gunman killing eight people, six of them Asian women, in Atlanta last week, Cleveland, Ohio Councilman Bashir Jones organized a cash mob at the LJ Shanghai Kitchen in Asiatown. The cash mob encouraged the community to support the Asian-owned business with takeout orders. LJ, the owner, says she has personally been affected by anti-Asian racism and has received phone calls at the restaurant. She told Cleveland News, quote, They call me like, hey, why don't you go back to your country? We don't need you. This country doesn't need the virus, end quote. Later in the evening, at a candlelight vigil to honor those killed in Atlanta, Yumin Yin, a Chinese-American, said, quote, We're here to say we are all normal American people. We all love this country. We should love each other. End quote. As we work together to end white supremacy, remember the names of the Atlanta shooting spree victims. Soon Chung Park, Hyun Jung Grant, Sun Cha Kim, Young Ayu, Delena Ashley Young, Paul Andre Michaels, Xiao Ji Chan, and Dai Yu Feng. Apologies if I pronounced any of those incorrectly. Scientists are studying microbes in the permafrost in North Sweden that is thawing due to global warming. They warn that these microbes are capable of producing immense amount of greenhouse gases in a short period of time. Monique Bruyette covered this story in Nature, and the article is available online for those who want in-depth information. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. It's starting to feel like spring, and I haven't needed shoes all week. Of course, as I'm recording this, it's below freezing, so it was only a spring of deception, but we're almost there. I was able to take a walk along some of Edmonton's lovely trails yesterday with my son. He loves the Jurassic World Alive app, and he wanted to go catch dinosaurs. So we walked for about 45 minutes in the lovely sunshine. We still have snow and ice in several patches on the ground, but that'll all be melted soon and mud season will begin. In barefoot news, Karim El Hayani has attempted to set a new world record for fastest half marathon on snow or ice by running barefoot across a frozen Quebec lake. He told Yahoo News he hopes to hear back from Guinness World Records soon to see if his attempt qualifies as the new record. And South African runner Mumbeli Mathanga set a new provincial record for the 10,000 meter at 28 minutes and 24.93 seconds, and he did it barefoot. That's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week with an interview with Painting Hawaii and DJ Colbert about the Empress Dragon mural restoration in Kaimuki, Hawaii. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to Sierra the Barefoot Girl at gmail.com. 
You can find me on Instagram at Sierra the Barefoot, on Facebook as Sierra the Barefoot Girl, on Twitter at Sierra Barefoot, and on TikTok at Sierra is Barefoot. You can follow the podcast itself on Instagram at Barefooting with Sierra. All of my books are available on Amazon. My comics are available on Instagram at World of Possums and Patreon.com slash Possum Pete. Thank you to Legion X for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and please share it with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.